Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and this evening we will be talking about ways to protect your eyes. And this is really a very, very extremely important topic that many times people are not informed about the ways that they could improve or to protect their eyes. Now, vision is a very, very complex process. I know that many of you may have heard that vision is analogous to a camera and how light simply enters the camera and a picture is produced. But the difference with the human eye is that the human eye is made up of many different layers and millions of millions of cells in the tissue called the retina. When light enters the eye, each tissue that the light rays hit, it has the potential of damaging some of those cells in those tissues. And with prolonged exposure to light, we know that these different layers of the eyes and different tissues of the eyes can become distorted they can also become discolored, and that discoloration of these tissues will lead to very reduced vision. After the light actually enters the different tissues of the eye and focuses on the retina, the cells in the retina, which are called rod and cone cells, they absorb this light energy and they convert it into electrical signals. And this is a very, very complicated process, which also leads to different types of damage to some of these tissues. In other words, when the rod and cone cells absorb the light and convert it into electrical signals, there's a lot of waste. And this type of metabolic waste, it does have to be removed from the retina so that the retina can continue to function. Now, after the electrical signals are produced in the retina, those electrical signals, they go through a nerve in the back of the eye called the optic nerve, and then the signal is eventually received by the brain, and the brain will then create a picture from all of those different signals that we do receive. So it's a very, very complex process and each of these different situations where light is going to strike a tissue or it's going to be focused by the lens in the eye or it's going to be absorbed by the rod and cone cells, there's the potential of damaging those cells. And one of the reasons that this is is because of what's called oxidative stress. Now, the first tissue that the light will strike is the cornea. And the cornea is the transparent tissue on the very front portion of your eye. If a person is exposed to too much light and too much radiation, it can often cause the cornea to become white. And when it's white, it's almost as though it's scarred. Now, the cornea can become white if a person has been exposed to too much sunlight or a 
other types of radiation. And also, light can damage the tear formation cells of the eye. So when people get a dry eye, the cornea can become dried up, it becomes white, and you may have seen movies, or many of you might remember the TV show years ago called Kung Fu with David Carradine. And one of the masters in there, he had these white eyes. Well, he, in fact, was blind because the cornea became completely opaque because of damage to the cornea. Now, after the light strikes the cornea, the cornea then focuses the light into the pupil, which is the black circle of the eye, and behind the pupil is what's called the crystalline lens. Now, the crystalline lens is very, very important structure because it has the ability to change its shape. And this is how we as humans are able to focus at different distances. When the lens is going to focus on something very far away, the lens becomes very, very thin. And when you try to read something or focus on something close, that lens becomes very thick. Now, if a person is exposed to trauma, let's say, for example, that you're taking boxing and you're constantly being jabbed in the face with boxing gloves. That type of repetitive trauma can cause that lens to become very clouded. And a person who has a clouded lens, that is then called a cataract. So some people may have a cataract and they will not be able to see out of that eye because of the trauma. But we also know that the sunlight and the radiation from the sunlight can also cause a cataract as well. We know that diabetes and having too much sugar in your blood can cause a cataract. And we also know that any other type of just blunt injury, say that you're in a car accident and the airbag goes off, that could hit your eye at such a force that it also causes a cataract. And when a cataract has developed, this is something that can cause severe vision impairment. But the good thing about the cataracts is that cataracts can easily be removed and an artificial lens implant can be replaced. So many people who have lost vision because of cataract, they could regain their vision after they have had surgery to restore that. Now, the lens will then focus the light towards the back of the eye, and that is going to focus it onto the retina. Now, the retina is a light-sensitive tissue, which is, again, it contains millions and millions of cells. In the very center of the retina, we could think of it like the bullseye of a dartboard. The very center is called the macula, and the macula... It contains cone cells, and the cone cells are the cells that allow you to see color and small details. It also gives you the ability to see under bright daylight. Now, if a person suffers from damage to the macula, 
that person usually has very, very blurred vision. They usually have reduced color vision, and they also may have difficulty seeing in the direct sunlight. This particular type of vision impairment, it is very, very challenging because it is very difficult to perform surgery to transplant the cone cells in that particular region of the eye. The most common cause of damage to the macula is macular degeneration, and it is related to age. So with age-related macular degeneration, we, we have two different types. One of them is called dry macular degeneration, and this is where these cells become damaged and deteriorated, and a person will suffer from the very blurred vision, poor color vision, and they're very sensitive to that type of bright light. The second type of macular degeneration is called wet macular degeneration, and this is when the blood vessels underneath the macula, they tend to leak and bleed. And these people will very often see waviness. Straight lines look wavy. And if it's not treated quickly, then it begins to cause waviness and blurred vision and color vision loss. And it also causes blind spots in the central vision. So this is something that is potentially very, very serious, but it is something that can be controlled if somebody is monitoring it, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But some of the things that's really exciting, though, is that there are now more and more treatments that are becoming available for macular degeneration. For one thing is that there are more and more studies that are looking at the benefits of what are called stem cells. And a stem cell is a cell within the body that can become a particular type of cell. For example, if we were to take a stem cell and we were to implant them inside the macula, that stem cell can grow and become a cone cell, which would restore that particular type of vision. This is something that many, many people are very, very encouraged about, and we believe that within the next coming years, it will be such that stem cells can be successfully implanted into the macula, and it will develop those types of cone cells. What the research is doing now, though, it's really trying to determine how can we activate the stem cell so that it will become the cone cell. That's what a lot of the research is being performed right now. Another thing that we're finding is that there are cases in which a child may be born with an abnormal gene, and the gene affects the development of these cone cells in the macula. So there are now gene therapies that are being performed to study the different types of genes that are involved in development of the retina. And one of the genes that has received a lot of press 
is the RPE65 gene. And a company called Sparks Therapeutic, they have determined a way that you can determine whether or not you have the abnormal RPE65 gene. And if you do have that type of abnormal gene, and that is what has caused your vision to become blurred, they are now able to implant a healthy RPE65 gene. And so this is something that has received FDA approval, and it is something that is very, very encouraging. So you can speak to your retina specialist if you have a retinal condition and you think that your vision might be related to this abnormal type of gene. Let's say that you began to lose your vision when you were a teenager or such. Uh, This might be something that works very well for you. Now, another situation that affects the retina is called diabetes. Now, diabetes is very, very common here among the population in the United States. And diabetes is generally a condition where the main symptom is that there is too much sugar in the blood. When there's too much sugar in the blood, it makes it more difficult for the blood to deliver oxygen to the tissues that are needed. And for many people who have diabetes, it's very interesting because it affects the peripheral regions of the retina when these cells in the peripheral retina are called the rod cells. Now, the rod cells, they give us the ability to see through the corners of our eyes, our peripheral vision. It also gives the ability to see at night. And it's also very sensitive to motion so that when we're walking, uh, our rod cells, we use them very, very much so that we can see obstacles that might be in our way. But when people have damage to the rod cells due to diabetes, it's very, very interesting because... Most of the patients that I have seen throughout my career who have diabetes and we examine their eyes and we see all of these areas of the retina where the blood vessels are bleeding, these are called hemorrhages, they have no symptoms. In other words, these are people that came in for an examination and they told us that they had diabetes and we checked their eyes by dilating it just to make certain that they don't have these kind of hemorrhages. And in many, many cases, we find that they do have these kinds of hemorrhages. And when we tell them, you know, we have identified that you have these bleeding vessels in your retina, they are shocked. They said, I had no idea. I have no complaints about my vision. I I don't have any problems with walking. I don't have problems seeing at night. But they have all of this type of eye disease, all of this pathology going on. Now, it's very, very important if a person does have diabetes that this is treated. And there are different ways the retinal specialists, the ophthalmologists, will treat these kinds of hemorrhages. And the reason we want to stop these hemorrhages is because if the hemorrhages continue, it will often release different types of factors that cause new blood vessels to grow. 
And the problem is that these new blood vessels that grow in the retina, they are not normal. And these new blood vessels that grow in the eye are simply trying to supply the retina with more blood and more oxygen. So as the retina makes these abnormal blood vessels, initially it does provide blood and oxygen to the different areas of the retina, but before long these new blood vessels burst and bleed and the eye is just severely damaged because there's so much blood bleeding in the eye. And it is at that time that the patients begin to notice that they really have difficulty seeing. So if a person does have diabetes, it's very important that they have their eyes checked. And we will talk about how that they get their eyes checked because not all examinations are going to be the same. So what are the things that you must do first to make certain that you could maintain the most vision as possible. And number one would be you must have your eyes examined by an eye care professional at least once a year. Okay? It really must be once a year. Now the question then becomes what type of eye doctor should you see? You know, we have in the United States two main different types of eye doctors. We have the ophthalmologist and we also have the optometrist. Now, in theory, both the ophthalmologist and the optometrist, they are both licensed and they are both qualified to be able to examine your eyes to make certain that your eyes are healthy and that you don't have any of these types of diseases. But in reality, I think it's going to be very important that you ask your doctor, whether it is an ophthalmologist or an optometrist, you need to ask them these specific types of questions. Number one, how long will the examination take? If they say that your examination will probably take about 15 minutes. That is not going to be a complete examination. One of the things that we are seeing here, at least here in Los Angeles, is that there are many different types of commercial eye care places. There's one place that I just heard a commercial, and this commercial says, if you come to us, you can get two pairs of prescription glasses and a free eye examination, all for $60. Now, I'm just thinking to myself, I had my own private practice, and I know how much the lenses cost to make them. And I know how much the cheap frames cost. And there is no way that these people could be using high-quality frames or lenses. They must be using frames that they buy for $2. Or they might be using lenses that cost them $5. And these types of materials are not good and they're not going to last. And I also anticipate that the doctors are not going to do the most thorough eye examination at that particular type of fee. 
So you really hope that the doctor's going to say, it's going to take you one hour here at the office. Number two, you want to ask the eye doctor if he or she is going to dilate your eyes. Ask them if they're going to put drops in your eyes to dilate your eyes. This is extremely important that they use these drops to dilate the pupil. And what the drops do is they make the pupil of your eye larger so that the doctor could see inside the eye much more easily. Number three, you want to also ask, will they be measuring the pressure of your eye? Will they measure the pressure of your eye? This is one of the tests for glaucoma. And there are many times that doctors don't always measure the pressure of the eye. And this is extremely important also for people who already have vision problems. I remember when I saw a particular doctor, many of you probably already know this, but I am an eye doctor, but in 2004, I was forced to retire because I developed a retinal disease. And I went to many different doctors trying to find a cure. But there were doctors that did not measure the pressure of my eye. I asked them, are you going to do a glaucoma check? And they said to me, oh, yeah, we already did that when we looked inside your eye. They didn't know that I was an eye doctor. If they do not measure the pressure of your eye, there's a very good chance that you can have high pressure. And if you have pressure that is over 21, that could be very dangerous. And I have seen patients who have literally become totally blind in a matter of one day after their pressure immediately spiked higher. Number four, you also want to ask them if they measure your peripheral vision. Do they measure your peripheral vision? Now, the importance of measuring the peripheral vision is we want to see what is the function of those rod cells. We want to find out if there's damage to the optic nerve or also we want to find out, is there actually a problem in the brain? All of these different types of tests are very, very important, but many times they are not performed. It is just very, very common. You go to an eye doctor, they have a nurse or a technician, take your measurement, read the letters on the chart for me, Okay, let's do it with your other eye. Read the letters on the chart for me. Okay, the doctor will be in a moment, and the doctor will fit you for glasses. And the doctor will say, you know, which is better, one or two, two or three, three or four. Show you the glasses they can make, and they'll say, okay, what kind of frames would you like? I'm going to have my technician show you some frames. Maybe you want a no-line bifocal. Maybe you want this or that. And they often try to sell you a lot of things because that's where their profit comes from. But that particular type of test 
where they just have you read the letters on the chart and they make glasses for you. That is really not a complete, thorough eye examination. So you want to ask your doctor those questions that we just talked about. Number two, the other thing that you can do if you want to become very, very thorough about the way that your eyes are examined are, if you have an eye disease already of a particular region, for example, that you have a retinal disease, maybe you have macular degeneration or diabetic retinopathy, Maybe you have uveitis. These are all specific types of eye diseases. I would then recommend that you would have a examination each year by an ophthalmologist who specializes in that disease. It is so specialized now that there are many ophthalmologists that will only see people who have a problem with that tissue they will do a very, very thorough examination to make certain that your eyes are maintaining its maximal health. Now, you might say, well, I know that these examinations are very expensive. Well, the reality is that if you have Medicaid, these doctors will accept Medicaid. You can go to the universities. And these doctors at these universities also have many types of special programs, which are their clinical trials where they do different types of research. If you have Medicare, Medicare will cover these types of examinations as well. And if you are a person who is still working, you could contact the Department of Rehabilitation and they will also pay for these types of examinations. So for you to be seen by the best doctors, it is something that is definitely possible. The next thing is that you also want to speak or have an appointment with a doctor who specializes in low vision. Now, there are not as many doctors who do specialize in low vision, but the doctors who do specialize in low vision will have the best solutions to help you to protect your eyes. Most of the doctors who specialize in low vision are optometrists, but there are some ophthalmologists who also do specialize in low vision. And if you do need assistance in finding a low vision optometrist or ophthalmologist, the CCLVI, Christine, she has actually put together a list of all the low vision specialists in the United States. So you could contact us and we could get you some names of referrals in your area. Now, why should you see a low vision optometrist? The low vision optometrist is going to be the person who truly understands what are the things that are going to be best to improve your vision by using magnifiers and lighting, computer technology, sunglasses, 
There are many things that could improve your vision, but they also will know what things are best to protect your vision. So here are the things that you really must have in order to protect your vision. Number one, you must have the appropriate sunglasses to protect your eyes from the radiation from the sun. You know, believe it or not, there are still situations today when people will look at the sun. And I just read an article about a woman who looked at the sun for a period of about 15 seconds. She was looking at a partial eclipse. And even though she was just looking at that tiny wedge of light, it was enough to burn her retinas and it left her blind. After you're blind from that type of solar radiation, there's nothing that could be done. Those cells are dead. So the most important thing is to remember is the sun is very dangerous and do not look directly at the sun. You must excuse me, you must wear special types of sunglasses. And the first type of radiation from the sun that is most dangerous is called the ultraviolet radiation. The UV, standing for ultraviolet radiation. You want a pair of sunglasses that's going to filter out at least 95% of the ultraviolet radiation, but it would be better to get one that filters out 99% of the ultraviolet radiation. Now, a lot of people think that the darker the glasses, the more ultraviolet radiation is filtered. But that's not true at all. You can have a very dark pair of sunglasses, maybe a dark pair that you bought at thrifty drugstores, and it may not filter out any ultraviolet radiation. But you can have a clear pair of glasses, and it could filter out that type of ultraviolet radiation. So if you're a person who does not see as well with tinted glasses, you don't have to wear tinted glasses to filter the ultraviolet radiation. You could wear a clear pair of glasses, and it will filter out the ultraviolet radiation. And the name of the lens that you would purchase is called polycarbonate. Polycarbonate. P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-B-O-N-A-T-E. Now, these lenses are very, very popular. If you go to Walmart or Costco, they will make lenses with this polycarbonate lens. The advantage of the polycarbonate lens is really threefold. Number one, it does filter out the ultraviolet radiation. Number two, the lenses are thinner and lighter than a conventional lens. So people really like it because their glasses look very thin. And number three, these Polycarbonate lenses are impact resistant. In other words, a lot of carpenters and construction people, they will wear these types of glasses because 
if a tool hits the glasses, that type of lens will not shatter. So I recommend polycarbonate lenses for virtually all of my patients because it gives them the most protection. And the cost of the polycarbonate lenses are very affordable. It is not such that they're hundreds and hundreds of dollars more than regular lenses. If you go to Costco or something like that, you probably could get polycarbonate lenses for $50. If you put a bifocal in there, it's going to cost a little bit more. But the polycarbonate lens, it will protect your eyes from the radiation against trauma, and it also is going to look nice. The next thing to think about is we also know that different colors of light are dangerous to the tissues of the retina. And the most harmful color of light is blue light. The blue colors of light and the violet colors of light, those colors have the highest amount of energy which can damage the cells of the retina. So for many people who do have problems with the retina, we recommend that you wear lenses that will specifically filter out the blue and the purple light. The colored lenses that filter out the blue and the purple light are the brown lenses, the orange lenses, and the yellow lenses. So for a lot of people who are sensitive when they go out into the direct sunlight, you know, they're squinting a little bit, it's too bright out there, the brown lens made out of polycarbonate would work the best. The brown lens is going to filter out that type of blue and violet radiation. Now, there's some people where they say that they work inside of a grocery store or they work in an area that has a lot of fluorescent light bulbs. You know, the tubes that are in the ceiling lights? Well, many of the fluorescent tubes, the more affordable tubes, they emit a tremendous amount of blue light. So in essence, this is very, very harmful to the eyes. Now, there might be some great bosses that will change those tubes so that you do not have blue light coming out of them. But if the boss is not willing to, and you work in a store like this, then this is where the yellow or the orange lenses come into play. For a lot of people, when they look through the orange lens, it really sharpens what they see. The negative about those orange lenses is that it kind of looks different. A lot of people aren't accustomed to that. But for others, they say, well, I don't really mind. I look trendy. I look cool. But these really help me to see so much better. I have had patients who have low vision who could not pass the driving regulations because their vision was too blurred. We tried to increase their vision by giving them stronger glasses. But by changing the lenses to a yellow 
and an orange lens, it improves their contrast and it has improved their vision so that they can meet the requirements for driving. It's very, very impressive. So if you are working in an area that there is a lot of blue light, you can wear these types of orange, yellow, or brown lenses, and that will really do a good job of protecting your eyes. If you're working in front of a computer and you know that the computer does have radiation coming from the computer, it's also a good idea to ask your doctor to make for you a pair of computer glasses. This would be a pair of glasses that are focused at the distance between your computer screen and your eyes. And what we can do is we can then incorporate a yellow or an orange tint on your computer glasses to filter out the blue and the violet radiation coming from the computer screens. There's a lot of people who state that they have headaches when they work on the computer screen, and that is related to that type of blue and violet light. When we put on these tinted lenses, it has eliminated that type of headache and they're much more comfortable working in that regard. Another thing that we also want you to do to protect your eyes and to keep your eyes as healthy as possible is to change the way that you eat. You know, having a healthier diet is actually very important for vision. What we know is that these chemical reactions that allow vision to take place it is really very highly dependent on different vitamins. And the vitamins that are very important are beta-carotene. Some people will say, well, that's a vitamin A, but beta-carotene would be a vitamin that would be healthier to take as compared to vitamin A because taking vitamin A could be damaging to some of the internal organs of the body. So beta-carotene would be better. Vitamin C. Vitamin C is, is very plentiful in different types of fruits, you know, oranges. Vitamin E is very important to the eyes. We also know that there is a vitamin called lutein, L-U-T-E-I-N. Omega-3 oil is very important to the eyes. And the omega-3s are found when you're eating different types of nuts, dairy products, Salmon, tuna. So overall, there are many times that the doctor can look at your eyes to see if it appears that you're having difficulties because of some of these deficiencies in the vitamins or other nutrients. For example, there's a lot of times that people have dry eyes. And that's an indication of a reduction in some of these types of vitamins. 
it's also an indication that this person may not be drinking enough fluids. We see other people where they're having night vision problems. And they say, you know, I just don't see as well as I used to at night. And the doctor can recommend different types of vitamins for this. So overall, if you're eating a diet that has a lot of fruits, a lot of vegetables, dairy products, fish, these are things that can be very, very healthy for you. And there are also vitamin supplements that your doctor may recommend for you. There's certain vitamins such as the Bosch and Lom, they have something called Preservision. And there's Occuvite. And there's all sorts of different types of names of vitamins that are out there that's reported for the eyes. But I would say before you just go out there and you buy these, talk to your doctor to see which vitamin supplements would be the best there for you. Also, it's very, very important that you try to reduce the amount of sugar intake. You know, just drinking a couple of Cokes a day, you know, it's a very high amount of sugar. And we have had patients where we've told them to try to eliminate the sugar. And they have lost about 10 pounds in one month just from eliminating the sugar and changing nothing else. But the reason that we want people to try to reduce the amount of sugar intake is that many people have increased blood sugar and they are borderline diabetics. So if we can monitor your blood sugar and lower your blood sugar, and put you on a, a exercise, we could often prevent you from developing any kind of diabetes. And by preventing that onset of diabetes, the chances of you developing these hemorrhages in the retina really are reduced significantly. Another thing that you can do to monitor your own vision and you should do this on a daily basis, is that you can go to the stationery store and you could buy graph paper. You can buy a sheet of graph paper. And what you want to do is you want to draw a dot in the center of the graph paper. Put on your readers, or you can look through your bifocal, and cover one eye. Look at that dot and keep your eye right on the dot. And notice, are the lines of the graph paper, are they straight or is it wavy? If you notice any waviness in any region of that graph paper, you want to be seen by your eye doctor because it suggests that you have a hemorrhage there. A blood vessel has broke. And if it has been identified early, it could be treated with a laser very quickly and very easily. If you look at that graph paper and you notice 
that there's an area that you cannot see the lines, that's also another indication that that might be a larger hemorrhage. But if you do this and you identify these changes early, you could do tremendous help for yourself so that your vision doesn't worsen. When these things are all caught earlier, they could be treated much, much more effectively. Another thing that I want you to keep in mind is that if you do have a particular type of eye disease, let's say that you do have the macular degeneration, you have to also keep in mind that it's still important for you to get your eyes checked every year, even if your doctor tells you there's nothing more that he or she can do. And the reason for that is that if you have macular degeneration and it has affected your center vision, it is still very, very likely, it's still possible that you could develop glaucoma or you could develop diabetes and these other types of diseases can cause you to lose the rest of your vision. So a lot of patients that I've had, they think that just because they have one disease of the eye that they are immune or they cannot get these other diseases. So they don't get their eyes checked and unfortunately they develop another disease and then they lose all of their vision. So it's very, very good to use the insurance that you do have to find the specialist in your area and to do these things that we talked about today. At uh, this time, what we're going to do, if you have any comments, any other suggestions or questions, you could unmute your phone by pressing star 1, and you could announce your name, and let us let us know what are some of your thoughts. Ed- Edward Cohen? Yes, Ed? I just met with my retinal specialist after a genetic test, and I've learned that my defect is in the... ABC4A gene. All my life I've been told I had RP. Now I've learned I have Stargardt as a bonus. And you mentioned about uh, the stem cell work on uh, retina yes. uh, for, for cones, but my retinal specialist said that's only if they haven't been impacted or degraded. So is it too late for any of that to be used on those of us who already have some progress or a great deal of progression? No, I don't think that it is too late. From talking to a lot of the other researchers, they really are hoping that they can develop the way that they could inject these stem cells and these stem cells will become free functional types of cone and rod cells. I guess that the other thing for you, though, since the gene that is abnormal has been identified, is to see if there is a company that is working on developing the normal gene, injecting it into your eye to see if it could help to produce the appropriate components that are necessary for the function of those cells. So you may even want to contact the company. Uh, Spark Therapeutic is uh, the company that does have the uh, 
uh, FDA-approved gene therapy right now. Spark Therapeutic. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Dr. Bill, it's Richard. Hi, Richard. How are you? Good. I, I, I just uh, two things uh, you had mentioned earlier, and I chuckled. Thrifty Drugstore. I, I just chuckled because I don't think they exist anymore, but I know what you're talking about <laughs> when you said sunglasses or somewhere to get something. Um, my question is, can you remind me what you said <laughs> about sunglasses? Uh, was it polycarbonate? What was the uh, polycarbonate? Yes. Polycarbonate is the type of material and so that if you're going to get glasses made, polycarbonate is really the best lens because it does filter out the ultraviolet. It also is impact resistant. So if you're walking and you happen to not see a tree branch or a rock flies up yep, from that a happens. car. Yeah. That happens. Yep. That type of lens, <laughs> it's not going to break. And they're also thin and lightweight, so they're more comfortable for people to wear. But uh, there's no more thrifty drugstores. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, they're all they're all Rite Aid. Oh, <laughs> Rite Aid sells thrifty ice cream, but that's all you all you get. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm so out of touch. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Bill, it's Tom. Yes, Tom. If you have uh, type two diabetes, which my wife does, is it a foregone conclusion? that probably the most obvious eye disease that you're going to encounter is uh, diabetic retinopathy? Yeah, that's a really good question. And what we, do, what we do see most often is that people who have type 2 diabetes, they're more prone to develop cataracts. So the okay. lens of their eye might become discolored and they may need cataract surgery. And... If it is not under good control, they may develop the diabetic retinopathy. So I think it would be very, very important for your wife to check her vision by using the graph paper each day. Okay. And it would also be very important, if we want to be very careful about it, is to be examined by a retina specialist every six months. Okay. All right. All right. And, Thank you. And Tom, don't buy her yeah. chocolate sundaes every night for dessert. Okay. I understand. I got that. I can. I, uh, Doctor Bill, um, my condition apparently most of my life, maybe all of my life, was I didn't actually have a very functional macula, and I did all my useful vision through the peripheral areas, and I'm wondering how common that was. I only learned that not from doctors, but from uh, my mother insisting, I have something important to tell you, Kenny. Look at me. I said, I am. No, you're not. I am. And I had a terrible <laughs> yes. experience with other people, too, where I would, my brain knew enough to aim the macula away so I could use my peripheral vision, my, yeah. my most part of vision. Is that is that rare or well, no, it's not rare, but it would be very interesting to find out what happened to your macula as a child. And uh, one of the first types of things that comes to mind is that you may have Stargardt's disease, which is uh -huh. a form of macular degeneration that affects children. Yeah, I know. Uh, so you may want to go uh, and have that type of testing the way that Ed 
have this type of testing to really try to find out what is going on because this might put you in line for some of these clinical studies that might be able to help your vision. Yeah, when some people say to me, you have macular degeneration, I said, no, it can't degenerate if it was never there. So I talk about having immacular perception. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, you're, if your central vision was that poor early on, then the things that come to mind are uh, Stargardt's disease or that you may have had abnormal cone cells at birth, which would also be another genetic condition. Yeah, so doctor, I, would, I would recommend getting that type of genetic testing. Yeah, okay, thanks. As a child, they had me taking doing eye exercises every week at an optician's office, thinking that was going to make the, the macular work better. Of course, it was irrelevant. <laughs> well, I think that that's a condition, that's a situation that whoever was the eye doctor that recommended those kinds of exercises, uh-huh. I think that they didn't really look at your retina very carefully because if they looked at your retina carefully by dilating it, they would have been able to see that your macula was not normal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, I know that the upper right-hand quadrant of my eyes is the only place where I see anything, so it's good for me to know that. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Are there any other questions out there? You know, not a question, Dr. Bill. Tom here. Uh, hey, Tom. On, Feb- on February 5th, I go to get a uh, cataract surgery of my left eye. Uh, my my neuro-ophthalmologist said, well, maybe you ought to go to the cataract eye. And he said, don't know if it'll be any good. I said, if it improves to 10%, my vision 10% is is pretty good. So I'm doing that. And then Janet... Uh, that uh, her optometrist said she had a little bit beginning of dry macular degeneration. But the last time she went and then had to go to a retinal specialist, it took me a while to learn to how to say it. Retinal pigment epithelopathy? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, which is the light, right. And that the layer of right below <laughs> yes. the retina. It's yes. one tiny little spot. So what causes oh. that? Did you know? I don't know exactly what's causing that, but the retinal pigment epithelium, epithelium that, is, right. yeah. that is the layer of tissue that's behind the rod and cone cells that takes away a lot of that type of metabolic debris. Right, okay. So I'm not exactly certain what has caused that change in that particular area, but it sounds to me as though her doctors are really good to have been able to pick that up. Because he picked up, I mean, he said the, she said the ophthalmologist has all the latest equipment, more than the retinal specialist, and just picked <laughs> up and said, well, there's been a little change. He said, I don't know what it is, but see, this was a straight line here, and here's a little bit squigglier. Yeah, go to the retinal specialist, and when went to the retinal specialist, said, well, can't do anything right now. We'll keep an eye on it every six weeks. But uh, Yes. Well, I would say, you know, my suggestion is that I think that she really should take some of these different types of vitamins. Yep, and, and that's what she's doing all that as well, right? 
Good. But she eats all her vegetables and about 10 pounds of spinach a day, I think. And all of that. <laughs> she right. does that anyway. So Good. And then just make certain she's protecting her eyes, you know, from yeah. the direct sun. That's great. She's just married to a blind guy. I told her it's <laughs> contagious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you could teach her, right? We all could teach yep. our spouses and relatives about all of this. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad that... Uh, I'm glad that you you have some good doctors, and I I look forward to hearing how your vision is after you have your surgery. Yeah, hopefully they'll correct it. To, so, it, because with a cataract, then when they put the new lens in, they can can correct it for either close or far away. So I'll have my uh, 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 myopia uh-huh. corrected, which probably for me because I've. I gave up wearing glasses maybe 20 years ago because although correction, you know, without glasses, I used to be what I had vision, 2200. Now it's okay. like 2200. It, it wow. helps me see a little bit better, but any reflection or glare off the glasses then eliminates any advantage I have of that. So maybe we'll, we'll see. It'll, or maybe I won't see, depending on the case. But well, well, you know the the lens implant that they put in after cataract surgery, uh, that's going to be good because you'll have less glare, less reflections. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping that that'll help my distant uh, vision. Or I used yes. to tell people, they say, "Why do you wear glasses?" And I'd say, "Well, what I can't see is in focus, and what I can't see is not in focus." It didn't yeah. really make much difference to me, so that's why I haven't worn it for years. Yeah. I'm sort of looking forward to this and see if it will yeah. help any. Okay, yeah, well, we'll be in touch, and we'll, we'll all hear about oh, yeah. it on the next call then. Yeah. Um, okay, does anybody else have any of the questions out there? Dr. Bill, this is Donna. Um, I just wanted to say that I, I find... Uh, the different exercises that you were talking about very interesting as well. So um, I just wanted to thank you, you know, for sharing uh, some of those exercises, like the dot with the graft and the, you know, the lines and oh, yes. and and all of that. It, it it's um, it's very interesting and you know, frankly, very empowering as well. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yes. Well, I thank all of you for being on the call this evening, and I, I hope that you all have a wonderful holiday season, and we'll we'll see you in January when we get back to it again. Okay? Good night, everybody. <laughs>